everyone and welcome to another episode of the Journey Podcast Season 2. My name's Sarah and for those of you who don't know us, we're a platform that's dedicated to bringing the latest science, evidence-based research and expert thinkers all to make the journey from conception through to pregnancy and early years as healthy as possible. We all know that there are an enormous amount of modern day challenges facing us and we want to use this latest science and innovation and help make that journey as healthy, practical and positive as possible. On today's episode, we are joined by one of the journey favorites, Emmy Brunner. Now, Emmy is a psychotherapist, a female mental health expert, an author, a CEO, a mum of two, and a general badass. But there are very few people as well-placed as Emmy to talk about some of the really burning issues that are affecting us mentally as parents in our modern-day world. Now, one of the things we wanted to really dig into is something we've talked about quite a bit on the journey, and that is this big report that was out a couple of months ago talking about a concept called parental burnout, essentially arguing... It was a whole new set of pressures that we as parents face and that is essentially trying to do so many different things and trying to do them perfectly and that can of course have its own set of problems with anxieties, burnout and really a lack of being able to really enjoy any of the roles that we're doing because we're so exhausted. So we're going to be talking to Emmy about what's going on and most importantly how we can deal with it. So without further ado let's get started. Emmy, thank you so much for joining us. One of my absolute favorites and a journey regular helping sort out all our kind of parental anxieties and certainly mine, <laughs> my guilt and the anxiety that comes hand in hand with this, you know, crazy journey from conception to pregnancy and obviously looking after little people. Um, now, what I really wanted to chat about, because obviously we've spoken about lots of different things over time, but what I wanted to chat about was something I think is really topical. Um, and I think many of us are feeling. So a few, uh, back in March, I think it was, there was a big study released um, and it was called Parental Burnout Around the Globe. And it was looking at over 40 countries and really trying to define what this is, define why this is happening and effectively saying it is happening more. Now, obviously, every kind of generation has their own set of stresses. And, you know, they're not necessarily more or less than the, you know, previous generations that they just tend to be different. And effectively, this study was talking about parental burnout being like a real thing and, and defining it effectively as really intense exhaustion related to parenting. And to the extent where we kind of lose pleasure and and lose because of this some of the kind of how well we can parent um and also you know feelings of sadness or I, I guess feeling difficulties between our current identities and our previous and effectively this study was saying that there are three main reasons they think why this happens one is this whole change in our culture so it's you know we do live in a much more individualistic society um but then it's also perfectionism. There's a lot of internal and external pressure to be this kind of perfect parent, um, which obviously we know you can't be perfect, but that doesn't stop us all trying. And then the final one, and I know, you know, you and I have talked about this a lot, is like 
because of all of this, we put our needs last, which obviously creates its own, you know, issue. So I think what we just wanted to do is to kind of pick your brains really, you know, what are you seeing? What do you think about this research? And how do you advise people who come to you kind of talking about some of these things that this study is talking about? Mm. Thank you so much for having me, firstly, and uh, so lovely to speak to you again. Um, yeah, I think I, I this really resonated uh, massively with me because I think one of the things that strikes me with, with all of the work that I do and, and many of the parents that I've worked with over the years is just a real disconnect with any kind of intuitive trust mm-hmm. within themselves to kind of parent and to know how to make judgment calls with their kids, knowing how to show up, knowing how to set boundaries. Everything seems to be kind of outsourced to some other specialist, some other advice, some other book, some other podcast, advising them of what or how they need to do things. And I think it's really given people a bash to their confidence as parents. So really kind of intuitively knowing um, what might be right for your children or how to parent them. I mean, I think I can certainly relate to that one. It's and and maybe that is a cultural thing, um, mm. as as you say, you know. And and I also think it kind of it it links in a way to this perfectionist culture that we seem mm. to have created. That you know, okay, maybe mm. it's it's almost not, you know. I guess coming to your point about lack of trust, it's it's like, well, surely there's someone out there who knows better than I do, therefore I can do it even better. And it kind of comes to this whole perfectionist element, if you mm. know what I mean. Yeah, I think that's true. But I think it's, again, it's just um, reminding ourselves that actually all of these other people are just people with opinions on how to do things. And I think when, we, when we're gathering information or we're listening to other people's perspectives, that can be really, really helpful for us to get a kind of broader view on things and to <clears throat> shift our perspective on something. But then when we kind of abandon any faith in our own judgment or intuition, then that's when it becomes really problematic. And I think for us to really consider as well, you know, this this strife of perfectionism, what is it exactly that we want to be doing and what is it exactly we want to be modeling for our children? Do we want to be modeling absolutely perfect parenting, whatever that means, um, where we're not making mistakes and not getting things wrong and everything kind of flows swimmingly? Because that's really not a reflection of what life is like. And I wonder what we're setting our kids up for by even aspiring to that. Um, I'm modeling that for them. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I remember one of our previous discussions, you talked about, you know, managing conflict between, um, you know, parents, I guess, which is inevitable in life in general. But I think even more so when we're going through the stress and strains of pandemics. Um, Mm. And I think there's a tendency we want to kind of our kids not to see any of this and, oh, we're going to damage them if they see this. But I remember you talked about, you know, ways actually to handle that. So they are kind of more prepared for life. So perhaps you'd like refresh us a little bit on, you know, just that aspect, like, you know, you as an individual may be struggling as a parent, you know, to Mm. cope with a lot of the stuff that's going on with, during the pandemic and therefore you can quote unquote get it wrong and all of us do and inevitably do anyway but even more so 
when we're under the stress of the pandemic. So how would you kind of approach dealing with that? Because I think a lot of people, when they don't quote unquote, perfectly parent, mm. they then go into a bit of a spiral after that. So they're like, oh, I, my kids saw me do X or I didn't do this mm. right. And then they get this cycle of feeling guilty and then it, it's, it's unhealthy. So how would you kind of approach dealing with issues like that? I think first and foremost, like to stop trying to be so cloak and dagger about our experience with our kids, like sharing with them the struggles and the difficulties in a boundaried way. So, for example, if we do respond to something and on reflection, wish we hadn't or wish that we'd done that, that slightly differently, being able to share that with our children and saying, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, mummy's actually a bit stressed today, or mummy's got a lot on today. Um, I didn't, I wasn't very patient with you in that moment. Can, can we go back to that later? And sort of being a bit more honest about what it is that we're experiencing, because quite often we withhold so much of our internal experience from our children. And I think that is actually what becomes damaging, not the fact that we're struggling, not the fact that we make mistakes, but actually when we're kind of acting as if everything's fine and the energy and the reality is that it's not it's not completely fine and our children pick up on that and what that then does is it kind of devalidates their experience because what they're intuitively feeling is the stress in the environment or um, the fact that a parent might be struggling in a particular moment and rather than that sort of sense that they have been validated by us it's being denied and that's where I think it can be quite confusing for young people um, to be faced with a situation like that. And how do we navigate that? Because really what it's doing is telling our kids that they can't trust their feelings and their intuition. And I think when we do share a little bit with them, um, as I said, in a boundary sense, and just give them a bit of uh, reaffirmation, I guess, around what they're intuitively picking up on, I think it's quite reassuring for them. Um, and it's all out in the open then as well. There's, they don't need to worry about anything or have a suspicion that something might be playing out that they can't kind of identify or connect to. Now, obviously, one of the things that's a big feature of modern day life is the fact that, and I think contributes to this whole parental burnout, is that we just try and do everything these days and that's not to kind of dismiss what happened in the past and obviously you know both men and women worked super hard in the past but it was almost different you know people had much more defined less kind of 24 7 lifestyles and, and and kind of roles I guess whereas nowadays everyone's trying to kind of be like um, a CEO they're trying to be best friends they're trying to be great parents they're trying to work out and all the while you're getting emails 24 7 and and it's just a lot um, and I think one of the hallmarks that comes with this because we're trying to do too much is this parental guilt you know we're trying to do everything and then also you know a hallmark of our modern society is we're trying to kind of do it alone you know it used to be this phrase it takes a village and now we seem to be doing everything kind of alone and I think that because of that we feel quite isolated we feel a lot of guilt you know how how would you approach that I think um, there's nothing wrong with kind of wanting fulfillment in all of these different areas of our lives but I think there's a real misconception about what it takes for us to be as productive as possible. And I think actually we're at our best in every area when we set really clear boundaries between home and work life. Um, and when we manage the expectations that we have, I think what I see with so many of the women that I work with is this extreme pressure, which means that 
they're never really fully performing in any of those areas because their head's always somewhere else. And actually, when you start to put defined boundaries in and maybe on the face of it, giving less time to either of those things, but particularly work, you end up in a far more productive state. Um, And I think that's just a bit of reframing how we go about our working day and how we try and get things done. Um, But also this idea that we need to be really doing everything by ourselves and not asking for help. Um, And as society has become increasingly more isolated, I mean, God, especially over the last 18 months, I think it's more important than ever that we sort of reach out for support and we figure out how we can help one another on this journey rather than feeling like we really need to just brave it alone. But what is it when I I just feel like, and I get this myself, it's like, I feel guilty for having a nanny and I'll like own that. I have a nanny who helps me and I feel guilty about that. Why? Why why, why is that? I mean, yeah, I think it's, there's a bit of a kind of historical hangover from women being the primary caregivers of children. And I think as much as we've kind of fought to, um, move away from that stereotype I think it's it's still there and it's there in the comments particularly that we hear from certainly in my case from parents or parents-in-law that just trigger that that mum guilt about us wanting more or needing more it didn't necessarily occur to um, the women sort of two generations ago to to do that or if they did it was seen as taboo somehow um, so I think there is a bit of kind of uh, old guilt there that's just sort of set in um that we don't necessarily know where it's come from it's just been inherited I guess yeah I think that's a good point point. and in your book you know you talk a lot about kind of internal narratives and I guess like unrealistic expectations of ourselves and I think that kind of dovetailing into this is like you know we do I think have these kind of crazy expectations of ourselves and as you say like we we cut off all these these things and we want to be amazing at all of them but of course you have to have some boundaries in there and you can't do everything at all times um but you know you I I think your book's awesome and and you talk a lot about kind of our internal narratives around that kind of and our expectations of ourselves so perhaps for those who haven't read your book um could you just give us a little bit of color particularly in the context of this and you know parental Mm -hmm. burnout parental guilt that type of thing yeah, I think we're, we're basically, we're all living with a, a story um, that we tell ourselves about who we are. And that story has been formed from our experiences throughout childhood and messages that we've received growing up. Um, and in some cases, culturally, those messages get reinforced. But it's about thinking, what is the story I'm telling myself about who I am and my place in the world? What are the expectations I'm placing on myself? And how really invested am I in that story? Because so many of us will have a set of rules and expectations that we apply to ourselves that we wouldn't dream of projecting onto anybody else. You know, we would be the first to tell our girlfriends to give themselves a break, to not worry, not work so hard, not put so much pressure on themselves. And yet, when it comes to us, we apply an entirely different set of rules. And a lot of that is about this narrative, about this story that we have about ourselves. Um, And really what we're doing is we're seeking out people and experiences to reinforce that narrative. So if there is a part of us that feels like we're not good enough somehow, 
that we're failing somehow, then what parenthood really does is just amplify those fears that we have. And it gives that unwell narrative evidence to be able to draw on to support that that story. So anytime we get things wrong, anytime we're late for a pickup, anytime we need support, um, it, it kind of fuels that story that we have about ourselves that we're somehow not quite showing up in the way that we want to. Um, and so it, as soon as we begin to unearth that narrative and really think, what is this? Where's this come from? Does this even belong to me? Have I inherited this? Um, it gives us a position to be able to start to challenge it. Well, I think that makes an awful lot of sense. It was one of those things where when you say it, you're like, wow, that's completely right. But I think in the moment, you get so caught up in exactly the things you describe. Now, again, in the book, you talk, one of the things I really like is that you do a lot of practical things as to how you can kind of make these shifts. Because obviously, you know, when you say it like that, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But how do we kind of like practically start to shift the internal narrative that we might have of ourselves? So do you know what, honestly, the biggest thing that anybody can do is to gain a sense of self-awareness around it, because people simply don't realise that they're having it. So they're very unconsciously just reacting to it and creating scenarios that are reinforcing it without even thinking so soon as you become kind of fully illuminated to what the story is and how it's playing out in your life then you can give yourself a sort of a slightly more empowered position where you can begin to make choices so you might hear that old story being triggered and you might hear that what I would describe that unwell voice um, playing out and then you can choose to do something that's based more on a loving and compassionate perspective So if you think about the repetitive nature of the unwell voice, that voice that is criticizing you, sabotaging you, shaming you, is probably very active throughout your day. It's probably very repetitive and it's saying very similar things to you day in, day out. And as soon as you kind of become fully conscious to that and start to direct your attention towards nurturing a more compassionate voice, actually, it's not as hard work as you think. It takes a bit of conscious thought early on but actually your baseline is to be a loving and kind human being and so soon as you shift your attention in that direction you're actually just in flow and so that's what comes much more naturally to us to be that way it doesn't require the kind of repetitive compulsive thought processes that the unwell voice does in order to remain established that's reassuring. <laughs> well, I think, uh, as you said earlier, sometimes like awareness is like half the battle. And once you're kind of aware and conscious of what you're doing, then kind of half of this, you know, shift has already happened. Um, mm-hmm. Now, one of the other hallmarks of, I think, this kind of parental burnout kind of generation that we're in is that we, and I guess it links into what we've been talking about, is we kind of tend to put our needs last um, because we're so frantically trying to do everything else. So it's kind of ourselves kind of come as an afterthought and you're obviously a big proponent in, you know, self-care and how much that can be a powerful thing. So for those of us who, you know, haven't perhaps heard you speak about this, can you again, talk about that in the context of this whole world of kind of parental craziness and, and burnout and how, you know, you approach this. I think at a certain point you need to kind of stop and just sort of ask yourself, how well is this working for me? 
how well is this approach at life working for me? Am I finding it fulfilling? Am I relaxed? Am I approaching the challenges that um, I'm faced with, with confidence and ease? Or am I not? Am I feeling burnt out and stressed and exhausted? And if that's the answer to that question, then something needs to change. And that change needs to come from us, right? And so part of shifting your mindset into one where your priority becomes yourself, nurturing yourself. People are so reluctant to do that because they've got this illusion of control that if they let go, everything's going to kind of crumble down around them. And actually the opposite is true. You invite a stillness into your life when you prioritize your self-care and your own well-being. You slow things down. You're able to approach situations with a very different energy, which then almost like a ripple on a pond has that impact on every area of your life. I've got women who I'm working with at the moment who are suddenly saying, my God, my husband's suddenly behaving in ways he hasn't for years through no prompting from them, no kind of big confrontations, just from them shifting their energy. The whole tension in the house changes and then the dynamics in the relationships change and then suddenly people feel more supported. Suddenly there's more space for us to talk, to be together from intimacy and relationships and everything begins to change with us when we begin to prioritize our self-care so even if you're scared of doing it you just have a go have a go at introducing some different tools and strategies that you find helpful if you can find five minutes in your day to meditate then do it if you can find half an hour in the evening to have a bath after the kids have gone to bed and that's your way of nurturing yourself then do it just try and not to put yourself to the bottom of the list. Don't make it so that when everything else is done, you get what you need. Shift it around. The dishwasher is still going to need loading afterwards. It doesn't matter. Um, just put yourself first. Well, I think that that's um, uh, what you said is also really interesting because it can obviously self-care can look very different for different people and it doesn't need to be you know, huge amounts of time, because I think sometimes we just think, oh, God, you know, I, I can't go on like a girl's weekend to a spa. Yeah, and that's kind of self care. But actually, what you're saying is taking five minutes for yourself and prioritizing that can mm -hmm. be really restorative. And I think sometimes, you know, people maybe underestimate that. So I think that's, you know, really powerful. Yeah, definitely. So the, I always say the devil's in the detail. It's always in the small things because it's with those small things that we facilitate greater shifts. You know, one weekend away with the girls all year is not going to fill you up. You know, it's going to be it's going to be those small day to day things that are going to make you start to feel a lot better. That makes so much sense. And I think, as you say, like, you know, this pandemic has kind of caused us all to kind of look at our lives and our life choices. And as you quite rightly say it's kind of quite overwhelming when you kind of realize that maybe the way you're doing things isn't quite right and that can apply not only to kind of your attitude to parenting but obviously as you say it can be you know what you're doing with your career which all and, and it all ultimately comes out in our behaviors and how we feel about it you know ourselves mm. but if and as you, you quite really say, making a change, particularly when you're already in a stressful environment, can be very challenging. So, and it can be so overwhelming that, as you say, people get frozen. So how would you, if, if you were a person who had realized through the pandemic that perhaps you've not been coping that well, and perhaps you need to make some changes in your life. So obviously you talk about, you know, just firstly observing 
what you're doing and how mm. you know you're nurturing yourself and and how your narrative of yourself is what do you do from there because as you rightly say it's, it's quite like a daunting thing to kind of mm. make changes and I think that the pandemic and, and what's been going on has made a lot of people realize mm. that they need to make changes I think keeping it really small so I'm a massive fan of future self journaling I think it's really really lovely way to task ourselves with things that we want to shift and change but it we can do it in a way that's not so overwhelming but it does kind of keep us focused on what it is that we're wanting to challenge so you pick something each month that you want to change and then you just make that your focus for the month what can I do today to facilitate this shift um and I always say to my clients just start with something that's not too big because the more that we can make these little changes and little shifts then that's when they begin to sort of really stack up into a bigger transformation um and so doing things that don't feel too daunting initially and as soon as we start to make those changes as soon as we start to see those shifts within ourselves it gives us confidence and the more confident we get that we're capable of change and making shifts the more brave we become and and then suddenly things start to look quite different so I think future self-journaling is a really really nice way of kind of giving us a bit of structure to to change and giving us a bit of process to work through I kind of offer in the book loads of different recovery tools which are basically strategies to help you facilitate these shifts and changes in quite a directive and tangible way and I think the reason that I did that is exactly like you're saying you know people will always be like I get it what do I do like physically what do I do in the day-to-day so I think introducing some of these little shifts and behaviors is what we can do in a practical sense to to facilitate a bigger emotional transformation and to give us like just one example so say say you know I came to you and I said listen I mean I'm really really struggling I'm so burnt out I'm no longer enjoying being a parent I'm so Mm. stressed I'm always feeling completely overwhelmed I feel like I'm doing a terrible job I feel Mm. badly that Mm. I'm doing for my kids I'm feeling like I can't cope how would you just start on a practical level with some of these kind of tools and strategies that you're talking about? How would you actually apply that? I think initially what I would do is uh, look at the kind of daily commitments that you're engaging in and try and cut back on things that were just adding to your sense of stress and overwhelm. So trying to cut out things that felt unnecessary just so that things don't feel so heavy and overwhelming I think would be one of the first things that I would do Um, and then I would start to kind of focus on having a little gratitude practice just a tiny bit of gratitude for yourself not anything external just being grateful that you you're making it this far just being grateful that actually you're showing up as a parent and that and so much of being a good parent is showing up by the way um it's not about always getting it right it's just being there and so many of us overlook that we are managing to do that and that's not something to be kind of brushed aside it's a big deal showing up um and introducing some of these self-care practices whether that's future self-journaling whether that's a, a very short daily meditation practice all of these things do do help also when we put women in groups together we talk we just chat and it's really cathartic and it's really really healing for us so trying to create some connection with other women is extremely helpful 
I've got a, a Facebook group called Reframe and Rise Up. And the women in there are so supportive and so kind to one another. Um, and it's a real place of kind of sanctuary and reprieve for people where they can just connect and just share a little bit, not even always looking for solutions, just looking for a bit of connection. And that's so much of what we're lacking at the moment, as you say, in this individualistic society. We need to connect with each other and remind each other that we're going through the same things. And that feels so much less lonely when we're able to do that. I think that's a really like key point actually is the whole loneliness thing because often as you say we kind of like have this tendency to clam up and especially when we're feeling like shame or you know especially the guilt thing and we kind of have this opinion that we're doing terribly versus everyone else and it can make you feel so isolated even more so than we already feel. Mm, absolutely and that's why connecting with others and sharing what's going on for you is so so important because shame really does keep us silenced and isolates us from one another and actually shame can't survive in that environment I think I said once that um connection or vulnerability is like a patronus to shame you know it's an opportunity it's a real defense against shame um so the more we're able to show up and be vulnerable and share what we're going through with one another it kind of provides us with a natural antidote to that love that we all need an antidote to shame these days i mm, think yeah <laughs> Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for that. And um, we'll be sharing the link to your book, um, which is out now. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, it's great. So we'll, um, we'll put that and then also we'll put a link up to your Instagram because you always have stuff that you put up, which usually resonates with me, actually. I'm always like, oh, save that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, I'm sure that um, there'll be stuff on there that people can find really useful on there. So Thank you once again for sharing your thoughts. I um, oh, really thank appreciate you so much. it. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye. Bye.